this is a tricky one. How yeah. do I find a mentor? Find a voice of reason. Ask. Can't hurt. Uh, and in the interim, don't be afraid to pay it forward. If you're a little further up the road from somebody else, don't be afraid to shoot your shot and ask them if you can get some time together. Well, hello, professional property managers, friends, triple winners. It's great to see you. In our agenda today, we've got Trent Booth. He is here and some of you have already had the pleasure of hearing that beautiful voice of his that we're so looking forward to. Trent is an expert on leadership development, leading yourself, leading others, emotional intelligence, a lot of topics we're excited to get into today. I want to give a little background on why we picked Trent to be here today. For me personally, Trent has been a mentor. Uh, there's many other people on the Second Nature team who also credit uh, Trent for his mentorship and impact in, in their personal and professional lives. And, um, you know, I wrote down radically sold out for others. As a young person, I had an idea of what leadership was, the kind of persona, and, and it was, you know, it was a little more of this commanding and dictatorial kind of view of things, like that's what a leader is. And, and Trent was one of the critical people who showed me something different. And there's a way of, of having trust-based influence where you're really radically sold out on helping and making a difference for the other person that I think um, it was helpful not to just hear him talk about it, but to hear him demonstrate it was really helpful to me in, in a critical time in my formation as a, and development as a leader. I wrote down being aggressive about my own leadership development. Trent got me excited to want to improve as a leader uh, and be aggressive about pursuing that development um, and working through the discomforts of going through that process. You know, th those are a couple of the many gifts that Trent has given me. And also just, it's been great to see a personal friendship over the years grow. And there's been times where there's a long time between, but Trent's one of those people where I just feel like you have friends like this, right? Where you can just pick it up and you feel like there's no lost time between. Um, I really appreciate that about our relationship, Trent, and really appreciate your generosity being here with us today and just being willing to share yourself, your lessons. I wrote three words down. Trent is wise. Trent is generous. Trent is real. And those are adjectives I think of when I think of you, Trent. Um, very excited to share you and what you have to share with the group today. Great to be here. Thank you, Andrew. I'm really excited to connect uh, with this crowd. It's uh... Well, the invitation actually came relatively recently. It was like, hey, would you be willing to connect with our community? I'm like, I love talking about stuff I know because I forget that I know it. And this is just an excuse for me to be reminded. Uh, sometimes people say things like, hey, I learned this from you. And I'm like, what? I say, uh, I-A-T-A. -A. And I said, well, what is that? I, this sounds amazing. He said, well, I learned it from you. It's, I am the answer. I'm like, that sounds like something I would say. But I hadn't written it down. And I was reminded and encouraged by someone I had mentored before, uh, years before, and uh, it just gave me a random call of awesome out of nowhere. And uh, it just encouraged me. I was like, man, I said, thanks for doing that. And I felt good when you're reminded of things that you know to be true. It's it's a great day. So thank you for the gift here of, of uh, bringing me in and reminding me of some of the stuff I know to be true. And it's great to see you again, my friend. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So, hey, I gave that personal intro and as a way of teeing you 
into the really first question here, Trent. You know, for those who don't know, again, Trent's background is he, he is Mr. Leadership Development at the Cutco organization, which many of you know the, the Second Nature folks have connection to. And I think what's like interesting about that is that really for a couple decades, Trent has just been leading a lot of people. And there are, I know so many people like myself who credit his direct influence and, you know, what he's taught them personally through training, um, you know, about leadership development, helping them improve themselves. But the way he's able to also transfer that to other folks who are responsible for others, it's, I mean, you go one layer deeper and we're talking hundreds of thousands of people that Trent has been named, like he's going to be the person responsible for this leadership development outcome. He's the person that we trust. And uh, he's done just such an excellent job there. I know many people like us who have become alums of Cutco frequently tap Trent and we're like, dude, we got to bring this special sauce to other places that was over here. So it's great to have that just expertise with us today. And I'd love to start, Trent, with the question that we actually started with everyone else here, which is, you know, can you share a story of a time where you've seen leadership at its best and, and any lessons, you know, within that story that you'd like to illuminate? You know, and I've been, it's been almost 29 years since I started this journey uh, of leadership development, working with Cutco while it, uh, well, in between college stints. And, um, but what one really does come to mind and it's, it's influenced so much of the work that I've done after the fact, and I wasn't looking for it and I couldn't possibly duplicate it. And I don't even know if it's a program, but what happened was I'd moved to London, Ontario to be with my now wife uh, before we got married. And I'm, I'm actually originally from Canada. I live in the Philadelphia area now, but at this time I was new to the London uh, area. And I thought I just need to meet some of the, the leaders in the area. Where would I go do that? And I was sitting at uh, Christie's church, my wife now, and they said, there's a men's prayer meeting at 6 a.m. on Monday morning. And I thought, oh, I bet that's where the... I bet that's where the leading cats go. And I showed up to this thing and I was easily 20 years younger than any other face I saw there around the table. And that sure enough was where the really serious uh, leaders of that church went, like business owners. And and uh, one guy was actually probably in his young 40s. His name was Ron Burdock. And after the prayer meeting, he pulled me aside. He's like, hey, would you like to get breakfast? I'm like, Yep. And he takes me out and he just starts asking me questions and kind of getting into the soil of my life and, and just befriending me and mentoring me. He makes no money on this. He gets no notoriety, no fame, nothing. He's just pouring into a, a young man that was brave enough to show up at a prayer meeting on a random Monday morning. But he saw the shot, he took the shot, and he mentored me for the next year. And uh, we would meet about once a week and I just drive to his business that he owned it was a dry cleaning place at the time. And I've really had a strong sense of the need to pay that forward to people that cannot repay it to people that aren't necessarily looking for it to a certain extent, somebody that I do connect well with and Andrew would be one of those people. I was like, man, would you like to get some calls? You're like, you would. I'm like, dude, I can't wait. And it was interesting. One of the times I, I, I shared with him, Something to the effect of like, I know you mentor me, but hey, we're not friends. And I was kind of alluding to, I guess I had a, a misconception that I'd learned in leadership, which is, hey, you want to lead people, but you, you want to be their friend, maybe, but not their buddy type of a concept. And, and I was mistaken. He, he looked like I wounded him with what I shared. He says, Trent, I very much consider you to be a friend. And it flipped that for me where 
you know, to serve people, to love them and to invest into them. Yeah, it, it was really, this is 1999, 2000. So things like courageous leadership, you know, Brene Brown, that wasn't yet a thing, but I saw him modeling this. And, and uh, that definition you use, the original definition I saw for altruistic, when I eventually discovered that term, altruism being you know, basically dedicated towards uh, the improvement of others or helping them get unstuck. And uh, yeah, I kind of just put a spin on it where I started saying, just being radically sold out to helping others move forward. And that's kind of my definition of, of altruism. But to try and press into that as often as I can, has been a real blessing. It's been a great life's work and, and to be able to just continually be humbled as I try to press into it. Because I think one of my great challenges is that I, I'm aware and I don't always, I'm not always able to close the gap between my awareness and my actions. So still a work in progress, but grateful to see Ron Burdock do that. And I've been blessed to have a couple of other people um, just come into my orbit, lock in for a little while, help me moving forward. And so I'm trying to do that as well. And fortunately it became my job uh, at, at Vector. <laughs> so cut go. And uh, again, you're one of those people that I really appreciate, Andrew, because there's certain people that when you do lock in with them, they really take it and run with it. And you're certainly one of those uh, people. When you teach them, they like own it. They like synthesize it and they really uh, make it their own. So thank you for being a great example of that, my friend. Thanks, Trent. It's great. We've already got a question that's come in, but I've got to ask a follow-up question on this because I know a lot of people have asked this kind of question in the past and it's, it's, uh, it's connected to what you were just talking about, which is a lot of people find uh, challenge, Trent, in finding or choosing a mentor or developing that kind of relationship. And so can you, you know, for me, it was easy because I was a part of a company that provided mentorship resources, right? And, yeah. and uh, yeah. they got someone like you who was looking for people to mentor, um, so to speak. And, and I got found a little bit. But what advice do you give to people about how to think through finding the right mentorship and starting that conversation, starting that relationship, building that kind of relationship to get the most out of it? A great question. You know, as much as I was kind of like you, somebody found me, you know, I think I had somebody find me earlier. So I think I was more open to it. It's almost like that positive bias. Once you start driving a certain car, you see them everywhere, right? That positive bias. Um, I don't even know if it's so much attraction so much as I'm looking for it. So when I see an opportunity or, or possibly a connection there, um, I'll dive in. A lot of that, I think, is intuitive. Somebody that I'm connecting with, clicking with. Um, Jim Rohn used to say, you know, when you find a voice of reason, you kind of dial in for a little while. And he was referring to the old analog you know, radios where you actually would spin a knob to get to the right radio station. He'd say, dial in for a little while. Once you find that voice of reason, dial in for a little while. I would say if I'm in between seasons where I've got a one-on-one -on -one mentor that really is working with me closely and intimately knows the context and can hold me accountable, hey, am I moving forward and doing what I said? If I'm in between those, I have found other voices like a Jim Rohn. I would consider an early mentor, despite the fact I only met him in person one time and it was a huge event that uh, he was getting paid a lot of dollars to speak at. Um, so I, I guess I'm saying that I've used surrogate authors and, and speakers at times to kind of be uh, uh, mentors for me. Once you've had mentoring, there's, there's really nothing quite like it and you don't wanna be without it, but not all mentors are created equal. So, you know, I think you really do wanna find somebody that kind of clicks with you. In many cases, it's perhaps somebody that you'd like to be 
They should, they don't have to be way up the road, but they should be at least a little bit further up the road than you on a road that you'd like to be on. And sometimes it could be as simple as just asking them to go to a meal. Um, I was just at a, a men's dinner that I was facilitating a few weeks ago. And, and one of the guys was basically talking about how another man had gotten into his life and was just helping him. And he shared, he challenged us old guys. He was like, and I'm one of the old guys. He said, don't be afraid to, to shoot your shot. If you've got a young guy that you're interested in pouring into, just ask him. It might be a little weird, but we need you. And then I've been challenging others that I mentor. I'm saying, hey, uh, this isn't just for you. Make sure you're paying this forward as well. Somebody that can't pay you, somebody that can't uh, repay it in any way. It's not necessarily a business relationship, but somebody that you can pour your life into and ask them great questions help and help them get unstuck. So I think, I guess what I'm describing here is if we can kind of create a culture in whatever community that we're in of those that are a little further up the road, pouring into others, that's a really good thing. And as I'm saying a little further up the road, that might just be your definition. It doesn't have to, necess- it could be maturity. It doesn't have to be age. Uh, John Berghoff is on this, uh, or at least was able to drop in for a bit. That guy's mentored me tremendously in the area of appreciative inquiry and and and, and leadership development. Some of my favorite ideas, and he's significantly younger than me. So it's not necessarily age, somebody that's a little further up the road in the area that I want to be in. In fact, there's just different levels of mentors. I started playing goalie in ice hockey a few years ago, and I just started talking to other goalies that I saw. Like, hey, what? And just asking some good questions and see if I could... Uh, you know, take them out for lunch, take them out for dinner, maybe buy them a beer and, and ask some questions that I was curious about. So I'm not sure if I'm answering the question there because this is a tricky one. How yeah. do I find a mentor? Find a voice of reason, ask, can't hurt. Uh, and in the interim, don't be afraid to pay it forward. If you're a little further up the road from somebody else, don't be afraid to shoot your shot and ask them if you could get some time together. You don't have to formalize it. Run uh, Burdock and I never gave it a name. We never called it anything. It wasn't a coaching relationship. It wasn't a mentoring relationship. It was just, we got time. It's like, hey, let's get together. We just go for a walk. And it wasn't even elaborate. Um, But it was consistent and it was constant. And he had the context Mm -hmm. in my life. So that was helpful. Love that. You know, I'm just reflecting, hey, you're looking for this resonance. Like you can just feel it uh, Mm -hmm. that, hey, this this is a person you're going to trust, that you're going to respect what they have to share with you. And, and also, you know, often overlooked is here is somebody down the path, meaning like they've already done it. I know they're speaking from a place of experience and not mm-hmm. maybe collaborating with me on theoretically, hypothetically, how could we move forward? <laughs> it increases your yeah. chance of success a lot to find somebody who's, who's already done it, can show you a way to get there. All right, Trent, um, here's the question that came in that I think is a fantastic question. Biggest lesson you've learned about yourself in the past few years? I'll just repeat it again in case someone missed it. Biggest lesson you've learned about yourself in the past few years? Three of them are related. In fact, I'll I'll put a fourth one on there as well. Uh, One is you are not your feelings. That's been a significant one for me. Uh, You are not your feelings. And I say that because my feelings lie to me all the time. I mean, my feelings lie to me all the time. There'll be times where I'm sitting down and I'm kind of just in my head. And I go, well, let me just get linear for a second. And something my feelings will say is like, your wife hates you. And I'm like, why does my wife hate me? I'm like, that's the wrong question. And first of all, it's so not true. <laughs> it's not even true. But maybe we had a fight or something. And I'm like, why does she hate me? And it's funny because when I write it down, I go, huh, it's true that I feel this. But what I'm feeling is clearly not true. 
And until I had written it down, or sometimes when I'm talking through with a buddy, it felt really true. And because it felt true, we might start making agreements with it <laughs> or analyzing it. It's just important to understand that there's going to be a gap between what I feel and who I am. <laughs> and not only is that appropriate to understand, that's that's helpful because sometimes my feelings aren't good. I don't know if anybody here wrestles with uh, mental health or depression or anxiety. I have two daughters that have been diagnosed with anxiety. That's different for both of them. I would say I've wrestled against the shadow at times in my life. And there's times where I just don't feel good, but I know I am good. I'll say that again. I don't feel good, but I know I am good. In fact, sometimes they'll compound and make me feel worse. Like I know I'm good. I have no reason to not feel good right now, but I just don't feel good. And then I'll be, then I'll get a little voice you have nothing to complain about. Your life is pretty awesome. And I'll feel bad about feeling bad. I don't know if that resonates with anybody here. I've got to demonstrate discipline in that moment to pivot into a reminder that I am not how I feel. And if I just get a nap or a sandwich, <laughs> how I feel can change in a second. It can, If I just wait it out, my feelings, my emotions will shift. So I'm not my emotions. Second one is I'm not my thoughts. And I say that because there's times where I'm like, oh, my thought, I have bad thoughts. I'm like, I'm just, I'm angry about something. And I'm tempted to like do road rage, which is a real thing here in New Jersey. And I'm from Canada where we we are super nice and apologetic even, but man, you, you hang around these locals for long enough. They cut you off on the right-hand side of the road, man, you're tempted. And I'm like, I want to rage out. And because I'll entertain the thought or maybe even indulge it, maybe even fantasize about freaking out, <laughs> cutting that person off up the road, uh, I'll feel bad that I even had the thought. I have to stop at that moment again. I'll have to pause and pivot into like, Trent, you're not your thoughts. And so I'll ask myself questions like, why am I so angry? Like, why is, why is that a thought? Why is that a go-to? And I need to remember that at that moment, I, I didn't act on it. <laughs> it's It's okay to think about it, maybe even to indulge it for a second, what was important to recognize is that I didn't act on it. And I don't have to act on it. Let me take it further. <laughs> I don't have to send the angry text. I don't have to send the angry email that everything in your core says, finish them. It says, you must handle this now with angry words and escalate things, or they'll get away with it. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. I need to go have lunch. And if I just pause, I'm going to feel different in an hour. In fact, somebody said this earlier, wait, count to 10. I'm like, there's certain times I'm like, I'm going to sleep on this. I'm going to, actually, that was the council. I'm going to come back at this tomorrow. And I also know when my gut says, do the angry thing that's going to escalate things. I'm like, that's all, never the right move. And I have to choose. <laughs> it's almost like there's a pull down menu in my brain and my, my emotions, my trigger will put that first thing in there. I'm not even control of that one send the angry text. I'm like, nope, roll past that one. What else is here? <laughs> but when I'm calm, I have to actually remind myself it's appropriate to distrust that first option because my feelings lie to me all the time. My thoughts lie to me all the time. So I'm like, all right, let's reason through this. What could I do? Well, if it's a difficult conversation, I've decided in advance, I never do that over phone or email. It's at least a Zoom if it can't be in, in person. And here's a good thought. If it's going to take me 45 minutes to write that angry email, it, I'm not calm enough yet. It's an important enough thing to have a conversation live with somebody. And I've learned this the hard way. Hear me right, folks. But we are, we're always, we're never as good as we look from the podium. So hear me right. I'm still working through this, work in progress. I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my feelings. 
I'm also not my results. I say this because I'm talking to a group of people that probably measures results. And if I had a great week, then I'm awesome. If I had a terrible week, then I'm not. And my encouragement to you is that's a real tough place to live. <laughs> Either way, by the way, is there times where I've had, I've had, I've been number one in the organization or I've, or, you know, I've had a big raise and, I, and I'll believe that I am my results in that moment, but that's not lasting. That's a fleeting thing. It's fickle. And I can't rely on my personal okayness to be tied to my results because there are some times where my results are just out, wildly outside of my control. So I can't leave something like my personal well-being up to how I'm doing. I'm not going to buy the hype. If I'm winning right now, that doesn't mean I'm awesome. I've worked with plenty of people that are crushing it at work that are not crushing it at life right now. <laughs> and that's a tough place. By the way, I've also worked with a ton of people that are not crushing it at work that are doing well, really amazing. And if they were to just allow their personal cadence to be determined by their results right now, they might not turn the corner. They might quit before they kind of get there. That would be unnecessary. This is a lot, I guess I'm describing the inner game. I've been real, trying to go deep into the inner game, that, that, that thing, the thinking that you're doing. And we're thinking all the time. So the fourth bonus that I would add that really hit me a couple of years ago, I tweeted it when I did it, as I was having one of those... Uh, almost like angel and devil on the shoulder type of conversations with myself and left unchecked. That voice is not kind to me. And uh, the, the thought, if I was to sum it up for you, would be this, this would be a chapter for us to make a, write a book. This would be a chapter. You have to at least treat yourself as kindly as you would those you serve. I have to at least speak as kindly to myself as those I mentor, coach, train, so when I ask myself questions like, why am I so angry? <laughs> why are you so mean? Wrong questions. Better, better questions. Well, what do I wish I had done differently? That's a better question. I would never, if I was working with you, Miranda, I would never say, why were you so terrible in that moment? That's a terrible thing to say to somebody. So I shouldn't be saying it to myself is what I'm getting at. And that requires discipline. Now, I'm not saying I give myself a pass here. But I've got to shift from getting just beating myself and not being uh, productive at all. I've got to have discipline in that voice that I'm going to use with myself. Hey, what do I wish I'd done differently here? And a lot of this work is triggered by you know, the work that in terms of becoming more aware and emotional intelligence was a lot of the work we've done with Exchange and, and uh, with John Berghoff. And, and Andrew and I went through a lot of those courses together. So that was kind of the the trigger for a lot of this learning, the catalyst, if you will, for a lot of this learning. But it's interesting. It's also one of those things that just because I know it doesn't mean I can always practice it. That used to really frustrate me too. <laughs> just because I know these things to be true doesn't mean I can automatically self-regulate in the moment. Just because I know that emotional intelligence is a thing doesn't mean I can just pivot from being upset to being totally okay. It's actually not how it works. So I'll come up for air here, Andrew, but those are some of the things that I've been mulling over the last couple of years that have really not just resonated with me, but those that I'm working with. Man, that was great. I took a bunch of notes on my uh, purple piece of paper over here, Trent. And uh, I just want to reflect back a little bit and move this into hopefully a coherent direction right after this, which is I heard, hey, you're not your results and treating treating yourself at least as kindly as others, you know, that that's, um, it's something where when we find ourselves talking to ourselves, right? And it's like, hey, well, that would never be effective in leading somebody else to say that. And so <laughs> how, how do we not hold ourselves accountable to leading ourselves well? 
um, was, you know, a, a trigger of awareness that um, I'm taking away from you there personally. Um, I love that you're not your thoughts. And it took me back to what Anne shared about her mom and making space for a pause and how that can lead to much better responses as opposed to reacting in a moment. We can demonstrate better leadership uh, if we say, hey, my thought in this moment isn't who I am and I can proactively choose to respond instead of react. And then you're not your feelings. I know that there's a lot of stuff coming in in the chat here, Trent, of just people. <laughs> what you're sharing, I know, is, is resonating for them. They're adding on to it in the chat. I guess that's a benefit of being live as you get that. But as I see you are not your feelings, it reminds me of something you taught me, a very helpful framework. Uh, that and it's very memorable, and I know so many other people. I talk to them, and they just—it's just Trent boosts fingerprints all over it. And so, I'd love for you to share. I think what you call the decision train with folks—is um, that something you feel like we could cover next? I think we should. I, I think we should. Cool. In fact, I've joked that if I don't share it, people will be upset. I know I've got like Alexandra on the call here. She'd be like, "If you don't show decision train, is it even a talk?" So, I did not create the decision train. I've, I've just made this, this optic here. That's why they, the copyright, but uh, the decision train I saw on a tract at one point at uh, college, I think it was a campus crusade for Christ tract. I think Bill Bright would be responsible then for at least making the decision train that I saw. I don't know if he created it. We could probably look it up down the road. What I've, what I'm showing here is that feelings often are what's driving most people's train, the feelings. If I feel good, I'll do the things and I'll make more decisions after that. You know, I mean, if you think about school, like I've got a senior, he's uh, turning 18 in a few weeks and he's not really sure what he wants to do, but when his feelings are driving that train, no problem. When he feels like going to the gym, he goes to the gym, he works out, he decides, oh, I like the way I look, so I'm going to go back to the gym some more. Or I like the way I can react on the ice, so I'm going to do it some more. This is how most people function is that they need to feel inspired to start acting and doing the things. The challenge with this, everybody I'm hoping can see, boy, if that's your standard way of working, this is just not gonna work. <laughs> you can't rely on the feelings. Feelings aren't always there. Feelings fleet, feelings float, they flit, they're gone. And if I don't feel good, I might not do the right things in that scenario. Something as important as my marriage, I can't let be driven just by feelings alone. Christy and I celebrated 22 years this past November. And folks, hear me right. There are times where I don't like her. I love her. But I'd say even in a healthy marriage, there's times where the feelings aren't there. If I'm going to rely on my feelings to go on day night, I'll tell you a story. Because I think uh, Avatar 2 is coming out. When Avatar came out, we were going to see Avatar. At this point, we had young kids. And the babysitters here, whatever tussle we had, we were, I, was not, I was upset. And I actually had the thought, cancel the babysitter. That'll, that'll send us to DEFCON 4 and she'll know I'm serious. I'm like, dude, that's insane. Like, again, angel and devil on the shoulder. I'm like, that's crazy. It's so hard to get a sitter. The babysitter's already here. And I'm not sure I want to escalate this. Let's just go on date night, but don't be, don't be happy at all. So I wasn't. I drove. I was angry, angry driving. Um, I walked away from the car when I parked it, leaving her in it. I walked straight in. I know she likes to buy popcorn. I walked right by the concession, found a seat and sat down. 
And my wife is an amazing human being. She found me and sat beside me, despite me acting like a total child. This is awesome and terrible all at the same time. I'm just demonstrating here, you're actually acting on my feelings. <laughs> and it was terrible. Of course, it's a really long movie. Avatar, I think the original one was like three hours long. Well, an hour into the movie, I forget what we were fighting about. Does that resonate with anybody here? I totally forgot. I was like, what were we upset about? What was the fight over? I'm like, I, I, I don't know. And then the angel of the devil, that conversation kicked up again. The angel's like, dude, fix this. <laughs> you acted badly. You need to fix date night. So I put my hand up on the armrest and, and she took it. I'm like, all right, that's that's good. We can, we can fix this. We can resolve this. So afterwards, uh, we, we go out to California Pizza Kitchen. We continue the date and we talk through it and we resolved it. I knew we would, but like, I don't know. Here's what I'm saying. I was mostly a mess on that thing. One of the things I did right in terms of action was I went on the date. Even though I didn't feel like it. I wanted to cancel it, I went. I, I wish I'd self-regulated a little earlier and was nicer, even though I was really triggered. The way I acted, though, ultimately, despite how angry I was, is the decision to follow through on the decision. I had my actions aligned with my decisions, not my feelings. I don't feel like going on this date, but I'm going to go anyway. <laughs> um I don't feel like letting her off the hook and 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 initiating uh, a ceasefire, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's the right thing. When I've been away on business and I come back and I'm tired, if a man has 10,000 words and I've used 13,000 today and I'm out of words, I got to have a big glass to suck it up because my wife's uh, love language is quality time. So I can't have my actions follow my feelings. I've got to sit on the couch and connect. I mean, emotionally with my bride who needs it. I mean, I have in that moment, my actions follow my decisions, not my feelings. Here's what I love. If I do it often enough, if I have my actions follow my decisions, the feelings come back around. So far, 100% of the time, the feelings came back when I did the right things, even if I didn't necessarily feel like it. And I've got a, a senior, well, my oldest is a sophomore in college. And there's the, she doesn't feel like going to school right now. That, it's been really hard coming back from pandemic. And she's in classes, but she doesn't like it. But she goes anyway. That's amazing. That actually was going to be one of my leadership at its best. That's what occurred to me first, was seeing my daughter who doesn't want to go to school right now, go. And her anxiety says, if you go to school, you'll die. Like, and she's like, I got to go anyway. So she's overcoming that adversity, I mean, on a daily basis, but she looks at her books, anxiety kicks in and she cracks them anyway. She's not having her actions aligned with her feelings. She's acting in alignment with her commitments and with her decisions. And frankly, there's no other way that we could experience success over the long haul if we can't get this decision thing right. So I try to show this to people, especially young people, because I let them know, hey, it's okay to feel that way. We just can't act on it. It's okay to be upset. We're not going to take action on being upset. And if we keep doing the right things, eventually that'll that'll come around. I'll come up for air here because this is uh, this is one that's a simple concept, but usually people will have some questions on it. So I'm I'm going to chime in just because I'm up here, Trent. But uh, it, just the whole idea of flipping the decision train, where where decisions are not the caboose; it's the conductor, right? And and feelings being on the other side of that, right? That you can act your way into, into feeling and not demonizing the feelings. I already say like, I, something that just comes out of this for me that I appreciate about you is I just feel one of your greatest strengths and lessons that you've taught so many people is the importance of awareness, 
you know, is the word that comes to mind. And, you know, really holding on to the importance of being aware. And hey, no matter what's happening, how you're feeling, what your thoughts are, et cetera, that if you start with an awareness of what they are and you, and you have an awareness of what you'd like them to be, that that's, you know, really a big key to being more effective leader. And I appreciate just your authenticity and willingness to share moments that were difficult, <laughs> you know, instead of all the highlights, you know, hey, here's examples of where it is really challenging uh, and where, where it's gone well, not gone well, but how to work through or think about these kind of moments and the opportunities for leadership within those moments. I, th that's a big part of what I'm taking away here. We'd love to hear from others in the chat. Did you like the decision train? That's like a Trent Booth greatest hits right there. Um, that's really, really great. Charlie has some Charlie. great thoughts here. And, and, and you actually, Andrew, uh, kind of referenced this as well. When you say, hey, it's important to not demonize feelings. And I need to make that really clear because feelings can look like the villain in this narrative, right? Like the black hat mustache twirling, feelings are the enemy. No, no, no. Charlie nails it. He says, love is a feeling and we need that. Compassion, empathy, right? That's what stirs us to, to do crazy things like give a ton of money to charity or, or give a ton of time to charity. Or just even reach out and be kind to somebody. These are powerful emotions. You know, when, again, I first met my wife, I'm like, she's amazing. I, I drove, this is a true story. I, I lived in Philadelphia at the time. She lived in London. I, on a Friday afternoon, I'd drive 10 hours to go see her for the weekend. 10 hours on a Friday, and I'd drive 10 hours back on Sunday afternoon. And it was only 10 hours each way because I was in love. <laughs> so this would be an example of, Feelings are super powerful. It's just, it's too important for me to leave them to be the only thing, right? And my feelings lie to me all the time. That was the case where I'm like, hey, it's important for me to maybe distrust my feelings. If I'm over the moon, let me make sure that I'm I'm not crazy here and other people are seeing what I'm seeing too. Let me make sure that I'm not just infatuated and my best friends, hey, when they meet her, what do you see, you guys? I mean, I, I'm crazy about her, but does this seem like a good fit here? And I could have that kind of uh, endorsed, you know? Feelings on, on either extreme, though, it's it's just important we put them in the right spot, right? The fact that we feel them is is true, and <laughs> they may be good, they may be serving, they may not. And that's the encouragement. So I appreciate that, Charlie. We're, we're going to keep taking any questions or comments in the chat. We'd love to see it. We'll have time for a couple more questions for Trent. Um, I, I want to come back to this, there's just the importance of this awareness thing, because I think there's actually a practice. We've talked a lot about some helpful ideas here and would love to get into a couple practices that I know you've taught many other people very effective and that you practice personally. Trent, um, if I'm not mistaken, I feel like there's like a bookshelf in your house and it has just like thousands of pages, uh, you know, on it. And, and it's actually not the bookshelf that has all the Jim Rohn and uh, the Brene Brown and everything else I know you're a fan of and as a reader yourself. But it's actually full of words that you've written in journals and that you've made journaling a practice. I think you've, there's something called micro journaling that you talk about. And it, just, it seems like one of these really helpful practices. And you've got a helpful way of people who haven't done that or have done it in other ways saying, here's some things you can do to get the most out of a practice. Like, could you just share some thoughts, insights, you know, around a practice of journaling, how you do that, how you teach others to do that? I would, would love to. This would be another real passion area for me because even before I understood what emotional intelligence was, I was benefiting from journaling. <laughs> I got one here. Um, 
years ago, I was about, I think I was 16 when I got my first journal. And so that was just being, you know, writing poetry. And that's not typical for teenagers. I get that, but, but that was, that was real in my case. And then I discovered Jim Rohn. It was like, write your ideas down. Your brain is designed to dump ideas out every day. You, know, you just won't retain it. The challenge is we functionally think I'll remember this, but we don't. <laughs> Some of the most profound truths we get today, if we didn't write it down somewhere, it'll be gone in three days or less. So when I heard that, I'm like, oh, I got some ideas. I don't want to lose those. Um, so a lot of my philosophies are, are formed there by original Jim Rohn content. And if you wanted to go search for it online, I'm sure even on YouTube, you could find it today or anywhere you, you, you buy audios. But it's called How to Use a Journal by Jim Rohn. And there's so many different ways to use a journal. Uh, I'll talk about a couple of them here. But a lot of times people just think about organic journaling, which is just like, how do I feel? What's going on? And I referenced this a little bit earlier. So I'm, I implied this as being a solution to help me get linear in my thoughts. So I was talking about how my brain was saying, or my feelings, whatever it is, my wife hates me. And I wrote it out in my journal. It became linear in that moment. So when it's in my head, I might be ruminating. I actually might be circling the bowl. I might be going and making agreements with that in real time, even though it's in the ether and I can't really pin it down. It's not real yet. They've done studies where when people talk it through and or write it out, because it becomes linear, we kind of can wrap our brain around it a little bit. And studies will show that even if we haven't fixed anything or solved anything, the simple fact of considering it in real terms can shift how we feel about it. I'll let you do the research and, and, and check it out online. But the bottom line is, in my experience myself, I get distracted if I'm just thinking or I can't control where I'm going. Whereas if I'm writing it down, it actually does function well to slow me down and help me process. For people who are curious to consider why would journaling be good, I would suggest just even this. How about a mental snapshot of what happened today? Whatever you were feeling, if we'll take lots of selfies and those will be on Instagram, but what about what happened internally for me today? Can I capture that somewhere? I do have dozens of journals that I've kept over the years. And every once in a while, I'll go through them. I'll be like, man, I found one when I opened my first business. I was 21 years old. And I found that journal for that season. I'm like, I can't wait to see what's in the mind of 21-year-old Trent. And there was a massive gap from April to June. And I despaired. I wish I had a time machine so I could go back and find 21-year-old Trent in Montreal and slap him and be like, start writing stuff down. 47-year-old you wants that content. <laughs> I want to know what you're feeling. I want to know the highs and the lows, and you missed it. You missed it. There's a gift there that, that we're missing in the future because today you didn't capture that. I'm describing legacy in ways. My grandfather passed away a few years ago. He was 94, and he was a, a Lutheran pastor. The family, the, he, and he had nine kids. They gave me his Bible. This is the closest thing I have to a journal from a family member. And he's had thoughts and it's in his handwriting. And it's so unique. Nobody will ever have handwriting like his ever again. It doesn't matter if it's chicken scratch or whatever. His handwriting is as unique as your thumbprint is to you, as your voice is to you, as your heartbeat is to you. And I've got examples of his handwriting and thoughts that he had on his most important topics all through this book. And it is a treasure. It is priceless to me. And it kind of made me think a little bit about, wow, could future grandchildren, if I'm blessed with grandchildren, could they find a book, a journal where they read through and grandpa TB, right? Grandpa Trent had a hard day and here's how he processed it. 
because I was light on that. I didn't get to see my, how my parents processed negative emotions or feelings. Well, they would see a lot of that here. They would see it's not all rainbows and unicorns. And they might see that he had a pretty great life, but also he wrestled with stuff. What a gift. What a legacy to be able to leave for somebody, even if not yourself. I will say if I never looked at it again, the benefit of me getting clarity on what I'm working through is worth it. When people are, are a novice, they say, hey, I'd like to get into journaling. What would you suggest? Two questions with clarifiers, especially for the, the brothers here on the call, right? Question number one, what just happened? What just happened? I'll write WJH. So if you found my journal, please don't read it. But if you did, you'd see WJH. And that means what just happened? People will invariably ask me, like, what do you mean what just happened? Like, what just happened this morning? What just happened this week? Uh, it's December, so you might even think what just happened this year. <laughs> My answer is yes. If you ask yourself what just happened on regular increments over a week, let's say, you're going to come up with different increments of time. And I'd say get curious about that. Chase that down. See where that goes. What a great time of year to write down what just happened in 21. It was a hard year in many cases. Here's what I can tell you. You start drilling it through, there are wins that happened that you're not aware of yet. And how sad would that be to live in one of the greatest seasons of, of life? I mean, as much as, as hard as 21 has been, there's gifts still in 2021. And if you've been given gifts and you haven't realized it yet, that's tragic. That's actually sad. And I'm going to encourage you to go get those, go open those gifts. What are the gifts from 21? Journaling. What just happened? You'll find them. Now, Sometimes they'll talk to guys and they'll be like, well, I wrote a bunch of stuff down. They basically write a laundry list of things and events that happened, which is neat. You need to go a little deeper. How do I feel about these things? I'm generalizing here, but my, my women friends will typically they naturally go gravitate to that. They might not have eight things like I did. They might have three things and they go deep on those three. They write down what happened and how they feel about it. If that's not natural for you, ask yourself the question, what just happened and how do I feel about this? You might be surprised what emerges there too. Hey, the second question, I promise to, the second question after what just happened is what's going to happen? Hey, what's coming up? And again, if it's not natural for you to consider the emotional piece of that, how do I want to feel about that? So on Monday, I'm like, okay, what's coming up? I'm like, oh, I've got the second nature podcast, the triple win podcast, or the workshop we're going to do with people. I'm a little nervous about that. Huh? Why am I nervous? I've done this lots of times. Actually, I'm going to choose to feel kind of excited, exhilarated maybe instead. Hmm. Hmm, shifts the conversation, right? Journaling helps me get clarity, helps me think through. It helps me capture good stuff. Now, if you go to the Jim Rohn audio, he's going to do a deep dive on how you can use this from a business perspective to work through challenges or opportunities that you're considering. And if the thing that you've been trying works, boy, what a great thing. You got to copy down somewhere. You can show your work. If it works, you might be able to repeat it by going through that process again. Hey, if it didn't work, even more important to show your work and maybe identify where it went off the rails. He would use this as a business. Some of my best business plans have been dreams and goals and then breaking that down written in my journal, not the thing that I submitted to the corporation or to the loan officer. <laughs> the this is where my intimate stuff is. People go, well, what else do you put in there? I'm like, if I go to a meeting like this, I write it in there. If I'm at church, I go and I write it in here. And I got one journal for all of it. I got goals at the front page so I can go through those or a gratitude list so I can go back to that one and keep adding to it and I can find it quickly. But other than that, I just go linear and I won't carry four books. I won't carry a dream journal and a life journal and a health journal. I'm going to just carry one book. And when that one's full, I'll put it on the shelf beside the other ones and I'll... Uh, if the place was on fire, 
I would probably try to get the journals because I can't replace those. <laughs> I mean, my, I'm assuming my kids and my wife are out, the dog, and then my journals. Leave a guitar, I can get another guitar. I can't get any more journals. I started writing in cursive. I used to write in all, all caps. I'm not explaining this to impress you about me, but to impress upon you the value of you connecting intimately with your own thoughts. Slow down enough. People go, well, I can type faster. I'm like, well, what if that's not the goal? <laughs> what if the goal is to actually copy it down? And even if I slipped wrong and I didn't make my C correctly or I didn't close the A like I normally ought to, whatever. My handwriting is really unique. And I know how blessed I've been to see my grandfather's handwriting and I think we interact with it differently. This might be the only time you write during the week is in your journal. And I think physiologically, I think psychologically, your brain goes, huh, whatever Charlie's doing right now must be important. Hey, Bob's brain, pay attention. He's writing something, which is weird. <laughs> it must be important. I've got a chance of retaining it, even if I don't read it again. So just make a, a quick, quick case here for journaling why it could be good for you. Don't take my word for it. Press into it. See if it works for you. I will suggest micro journaling. This is an exercise I came up with a few years ago. I don't know if it's original. I can't figure out where I got it though. So it might be. All right. So Trent Boost Michael journaling. Three times a day, we have an alarm go off three times a day and it's asking me a question. What's my emotional state? Simple question. What's my emotional state? And as I've, I've done this several times, the first time I did it, I was shocked at how few words, and I've got decent vocabulary, but I was using two terms to describe my emotional state, fired up, pissed off. I wrote that like almost every time, either way, for the first two days, I'm like, dude, you got to find a better way to describe your emotional state. It's not very accurate for one. And if it's not very accurate, I might not be able to find the solution necessary. I need to diagnose further. It's like saying I have an upper body injury and saying, hey, I've got a contusion on my lung, right? Let's zero in a little bit more. Okay, fired up. What is it? So I usually encourage people to write down two things when that alarm happens. And they can put it right in their phone to transcribe later into a journal. Two things. One, the emotional state and some circumstances. What's happening? One of my discoveries in doing this three times a day for 30 days, and I do it nine in the morning, let's call it noon, and then five at night, or you pick what the times are, eight two and eight, you decide whatever works best for you. And if it goes off and you're in the car, do not do distracted driving, do a voice memo to yourself or, or just take a mental snapshot and copy it down later. The point being, I was really surprised. I would consider myself a pretty positive guy. I looked at that thing. I'm like, wow, I'm negative. I'm below the line more than I'm above the line. Huh? Interesting. The first day I did it, uh, it wasn't the first day, it was the first week. The Friday morning, I get to the office, it's 9.15, what just happened? Like, what's my emotional state? I'm like, I'm upset, I'm frustrated. I'm like, why? I just got here. What's even happening? And it reminded me, New Jersey, somebody cut me off. And I was triggered by that. Now that was a simple one where I'm like, that's dumb. I don't want to be pissed off. <laughs> pivot, I'm like, okay, I'm good. And it was that easy. I'm so glad though the alarm went off because I could pivot out of that sour state into a sweet state real quick. It was that easy. And sometimes it is that easy, isn't it? Hey, sometimes, what's my emotional state? I'm mourning. A friend of mine, his mom just passed away and I'm, I'm sad. Well, that's appropriate. <laughs> now, I might recognize that I'm sad though and know that I've got a pretty full day at work and go, all right, permission, Trent, to feel sad. This is appropriate emotion right now. How can I ensure that my, uh, my actions though are still aligned with a best version of me? 
Or what could I do to interact with my team today? I've got a friend right now that's fighting uh, cancer. This is the third time it's come back. Love this guy. He asks, asks me during a session, he goes, Trent, I want to support my team, but right now my brain isn't working like I, I want it to. How can I still serve my people well, despite the fact I don't feel good? And I share with them. I said, let them know. <laughs> Tell them you're below the line. Hey, guys, I'm below the line today. Sherry, I'm below the line today. I'm not at my best. I want to serve you well. Normally, I might pick up. If you're not feeling great, I need you today to just tell me. By the way, if you're feeling great and you had a huge win, I need you to tell me because I might miss that too. And I want to celebrate it with you and or I want to help you work through whatever you're working through, but I might not notice it today. Now, you're not looking for sympathy in that moment, but in that moment, you are enrolling your fellow business partners to move forward. Not only is it endearing, I think, to, to this guy who is fighting the good fight, I mean, think about it. He's fighting cancer and he's still thinking about how to serve his people well, like mind blown. But for him to just own it up front and say, help me, it gives him a shot of becoming consciously aware because they're telling him where he's normally he would be able to read that and he can't in this moment. So I'm describing here the benefit of becoming aware. The micro journaling exercise three times a day for 30 days. I do recommend that you go online and find a wheel of emotions to find more than two words to describe your emotional state. There's a lot. I think I've got one that's got about 16 or 32 different words on it. Uh, and it helps me just figure out what I'm feeling. And as I increase my vocabulary to describe how I feel, my emotional intelligence goes up. My ability to diagnose how I'm really feeling and then make decisions to self-regulate, either to change my emotional state or if I can't, to make new decisions in terms of what I'm going to do. So far, I've given examples of what if it's negative. What if it's great? I mean, Karen, what if you check in and you're like, oh, I feel amazing. You just get off the call. If you did it like at 1.30, you're like 1.30 Eastern. How you feel? I'm like, I'm amazing. This is a really great workshop. I'm so full right now. I might change instead of doing my expenses in that moment. I might call customers. <laughs> I might call vendors. I might call my key relationships and pour a little sunshine into them. I might do high return on investment activity with relationships when I'm feeling good like that. Take advantage of that. You bring sunshine to somebody else's world there, Karen, you never know. I've had people literally say, I, I told you earlier about the, the random call of awesome. This is a free one for you, Karen, right? The random call of awesome. I will just call him. I'll say, Smallwood, Booth, I'm calling to tell you I love you. That is all. He's like, that's amazing. I'm like, I know. He feels better. I feel better. Even if he doesn't pick up, I leave a voice memo. Small Booth, calling to tell you I love you. That's it. That's it. See ya. Now, here's what's interesting. I find uh, people hit the green button for me more because it doesn't have to be an hour-long call. It could be 10 seconds. <laughs> And even if they don't pick up, I feel good just by bringing some of that sunshine. I'll let you decide what you say in that random call of awesome. Point being that when I take action, when I'm not feeling great or when I'm feeling great, and I say it because I've done the random call of awesome in both scenarios. I'm like, I'm feeling below the line. I'm like, well, what if I just started spreading some sunshine? What happens? Folks, it's hard to feel bad when I've got 10 people I could call right now and tell them how much they mean to me and how encouraged I am just to have them in my life. And then it's amazing. You start getting random calls of awesome. <laughs> Those are pretty sweet. I have had one person tell me, Trent, I was actually considering suicide yesterday. This is the most extreme example. He's like, I haven't acted on it ever yet, but I was, I was struggling and your call really helped me. I'm like, I'm so glad I called. I was part of me's like, is this weird? It is weird. The, the random call of awesome is weird. 
And also, I've never regretted doing it. This is a case, though, if I'd not called that guy, I might have really regretted not calling, if that makes any sense. When I catch myself in a good mood, I need to do high-impact things. You all know what those are. It might be for business. It might be home, personal. Hey, I've not reached out to my brother in a while. I'm going to call my brother. Thinking of you. All right. Micro journaling. Mm. Here's what I would offer to anybody on the call. This is uh, we're going off script here, Andrew. Anybody on the call that does 30 days, we're talking 90 entries ish, right? If you miss a couple, that's fine. Over 30 days of three times a day, your alarm goes off and you document your emotional state. Mm. We're up against time here. I've been ranting for a bit. I'll come up here again. <laughs> I think everyone trusted our judgment not to stop what was happening right there. I saw Karen's comment like, this is the best stuff here right at the end. This is great. Trent, I'd love to give you the final word, but just want to express what we're seeing in the chat here, which is reflecting a lot of appreciation, um, a lot of feeling a little more energized than I did even coming in, even with the anticipation of knowing what it was going to be like to spend time with you today. And just want to say deep, deep thanks. Much appreciation. Love you, my man. And last word is yours. Oh, I love you too. In fact, I just see a lot of really intimate thoughts there. People are sharing uh, some hard stuff. And, and I want to let you know, I appreciate you. I see you. I've, I've been trying to read these as we go here. And uh, thank you for that feedback to me. It's a gift and, and I accept it and love it. Um, Jim Rohn got shouted out a couple times here today. He's certainly worth your time. One of the things I love about Jim Rohn is it's just not weird. It's just stuff that your grandfather might've told you. And it's fun to dive into that. But thank you again for the gift of today and for engaging the way that you did. I'm a stranger. You had no reason to listen, but you really did engage in a powerful way today. And I really appreciate you bringing that gift to me today. So thanks, everybody. All right, everybody. That's it for today. Take care. Happy Thursday. You can stay connected in the Facebook group. Keep stacking your triple wins. We'll see a better version of you and your business. Take care. That's all for today's Triple Win Property Management Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for sharing a piece of your life with us. We do not take it for granted. I also want to give a shout out to Carol Housel for everything she and our team does to make these possible. It's crazy to think about over 5,000 professional property managers have pressed play on episodes in season one and season two now. And we really want to encourage you to keep giving feedback because more and more people are listening. It's getting better and better and better thanks to everything that you're sharing with us. If you like this enough to listen, want to encourage you to share it with other people. Um, you can give us feedback directly on those social media channels, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you're hanging out. You can also send us an email at triplewinatsecondnature.com. And we just want to give more. We're, we're, there's no sales pitch here. Just want to offer more resources that help you find and stack your next triple win and become a triple win driven property manager. So where can you find that? You can find the private Facebook group, you can find our blog, you can find our newsletter, you can find more resources all at rbp.secondnature.com. Just search for what you're looking for there. And every time we see you, we want to see a better version of you and your business. To that end, keep it going, feel inspired, take our encouragement, and we'll see you next time.